hello and uh, good evening. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Lucy. Um, you might have seen me lead the service with my husband Alistair and during the week I also help run our church's food bank. Um, it's good to be with you on this Good Friday. This evening there are two things I want to share with you. I want to invite us to place ourselves in the Good Friday story and ask what it was really like to stand before the cross that day. This is really important for us to get because, and this leads to my second question, what are we meant to feel and do in this situation? Where do we stand? When I first read over the crucifixion story in preparation for this evening, I found myself moved more than I had been before by the pain and anguish of the scenes I was reading, the brutality Jesus experienced and the rejection he suffered. I found myself wondering and imagining what it would have been like to stand there watching this happen. I found myself looking up at Jesus on the cross and wondering in turn where my own heart was at. Where did I stand? This did not feel nice, but I also recognize that it was good. Today is not nice Friday after all. Today is good Friday. For example, needing heart surgery re requires surgeons to cut you open, to remove what's making you ill in order for you to live a full and healthy life. Sometimes going through something uncomfortable can also lead to something good. This evening, we're going to be walking through Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 49. And by focusing in on those, Luke describes watching the crucifixion happen. We're going to reflect on what it was like to stand before the cross that day. What is our response as we stand at the cross this evening? Where do we stand? Spencer's going to um, read our passage for us just now. Yeah, so I'll be reading from Luke 23, verses 32 to 49 from the NLT version. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. 
Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Thank you, Spencer. The first group of people Luke introduces us to all come from different walks of life, but they all seem to be saying a very similar thing. There are the criminals who are being crucified either side of him, the Roman soldiers carrying out the execution, and also leaders from the Jewish community. Staying with our focus on those witnessing the execution, what can we take away from their response to the cross. In verse 35, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with the words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. They completely miss who Jesus is and the irony of what they are saying. Their view of the cross is obscured by their own false expectations, misunderstandings or presumptions of who the King of the Jews should be. Jesus came to save others by not saving himself. The Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers and the criminals use the titles of Christ or King in their mocks and taunts against Jesus. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Because they misunderstand who Jesus is, they miss out on the radical kind of kingship Jesus embodies in this moment. He is not the kind of king who came to his people in order to sit high on a golden throne, lording it over them, using power only to serve himself. He came to dwell and he lived among us as a man fully God, but also fully human. He came to draw near, and despite knowing the unimaginable pain he must face, he willingly sacrificed himself in an act of ultimate love. 
he came as a king, but made himself known to us as a friend and a brother. And we sent him to the cross. God's heart for us was to meet us in love, like the ruler of the universe coming to read a small child a bedtime story. He came to us and made himself vulnerable and we killed him. But would you or I have been any different to that first group of people? Would we have recognized him? Do we recognize him now? Where do we stand? In John chapter 13, verse one, John writes, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. In a similar way, Rachel spoke a couple of weeks ago on a later passage in John, where before Jesus' death, he gives John as a son to his mother Mary and Mary as a mother to John. Before his own death, he thought so lovingly and affectionately for his family. From these two passages, we might imagine that as Jesus was dying, he was thinking of those closest to him. As Jesus was dying, perhaps he might have even been thinking of you. Perhaps we too can misunderstand or miss out on who Jesus is and the kind of relationship he wants with us. How might that affect the way we respond to the story of Good Friday? As we're standing at the cross, maybe you're not exactly hurling abuse at him, but in what ways are our own views of Jesus out of touch from the one he reveals to us through Good Friday? I grew up going to church. I grew up being familiar with the idea that God's son was sent to earth to die for me so I could live in restored relationship with my father. I knew that, but it was only once I began to know Jesus personally that the weight of the crucifixion story really hit me. Year after year of knowing Jesus more was the key that made the story of Good Friday real. Something changes when we receive the story of Jesus's death whilst in relationship with him. How can we come to know in greater fullness what it means for Jesus to die for us if we also do not know Jesus as our friend? This is the same Jesus I speak to, cry to, hear from. That Jesus died. In verse 44, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. 
you're up on the hillside at a place called the Skull. You can see the town of Jerusalem beneath you where the Passover celebrations are happening. Coming over the wind is the faint sound of priests singing over the sacrifices. And there is Jesus, his body nailed to the cross. Suddenly the light from the sun goes and everything is in darkness besides the odd flicker from a candle in the town below. There's a quiet murmur rippling over the crowd. And then it comes. Jesus, his body in so much pain, cries out to his father and takes his final breath. There's a sudden voice to your left. A Roman soldier has fallen to his knees in a posture of worship. The weight of the moment painted across his face. He is shouting, surely this was a righteous man. The Roman soldier belonged to a culture entirely opposed to the one Jesus was born into. And yet he was seen praising God and declaring Jesus's righteousness. He would have been there at Jesus's final moments. He would have seen the nails pierce Jesus's flesh. He would have seen Jesus's gentleness and compassion even for those who mocked him. And he would have seen his willingness to forgive, even admit his own immense agony and pain. Seeing what the Roman soldier saw, it disarmed him. Disarm means to be won over, to remove or lay aside arms, or another way of looking at it, of being made vulnerable. When I read this passage, reflecting on what might have been going on in the mind of that Roman soldier, it was as if I was seeing in that moment any hostility he might have held towards Jesus, it fled. Any suspicion or previously spoken taunts, gone. Any pride, dissolved. Seeing what the Roman soldier saw, it disarmed him. He was brought to his knees before the cross. What weapons do we need to lay down? What bitterness, envy, even hurt or pain are we holding on to that he would invite us to place at his cross and be disarmed of so that we can meet him freely instead? This might not be a comfortable or a nice thing to do, but it is good. As we watch from the hillside, we see the Roman soldier broken to worship. And also, ultimately, what we see and know today is when Jesus died, he disarmed the weapons of the enemy, sin. When we come before the cross today, we can do so knowing that victory has been won. But today is the day to celebrate that victory while standing in the painful light of what it cost. We stand in God's victory over sin. That's where we stand. Next, Luke pans the camera onto the crowd. Who was in the crowd that day? Was it the same mob who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, just moments before? Possibly. There were also likely to be some 
curious bystanders there who, as part of the culture of the time, came just for the show. Whoever they were, Luke wants us, wants us to know that seeing what they saw, it moved them. He writes in verse 48, when all the crowd that came to the crucifixion saw what happened, they went home in deep sorrow. Luke does show on some level that they felt it, the weight of the moment hanging heavy on their souls. But then how often do we experience something, maybe at church or at home group, and in the moment we recognize it as significant, as the Holy Spirit at work, but then we return home or switch off Zoom and we return to the same habits and unchanged behavior as before. Taking the time to look at ourselves is not always nice or easy, but it is good. As a child, I remember never being quite convinced that my mum made squash correctly. She would bring out the fruit and barley and then only pour in a centimeter and then proceed to fill the rest with water. What's that about? For some reason, I just couldn't get my head around the diluting part. One summer's afternoon, I came in from the garden and fancied myself some juice. My mum wasn't around, so I thought, now's my chance to make one properly. I got out the fruit and barley and poured myself a whole cup of squash. Neat. On the rocks. After a bad stomach ache and the feeling of everything being on fast forward, I realized I should have taken my mum more seriously. I've learned my lesson and I haven't done it since. We need to take this seriously and let it change us. Witnessing the death of Jesus on the cross is not just meant to move us, although that might be often the first step. Ultimately, it's meant to change us. At some point, we can't just keep dipping our toes in the sea and retreating back. We've got to dive in. As we stand at the cross this Good Friday, let's take the time to not rush on and just return to the way things were before. Let's instead take this opportunity seriously and allow the scene of the cross to move us and for Jesus to meet with us. So we're standing near the cross up on the hillside. We've heard the Roman soldier declare worship to God. We've seen the atmosphere and faces of the crowd turn to sorrow. And then we look to Jesus's friends. In verse 49, the last verse of our passage this evening, Luke leaves us with a last heartbreaking scene. But Jesus's friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. They wouldn't even stand close to him. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe the soldiers, the religious leaders, the baying mob made it unsafe for them to gather around Jesus as he died. But they didn't even gather around Jesus as he died. 
Luke doesn't include this, but I wonder, perhaps as Jesus was about to die, he might have looked around at the crowd to spot a familiar face and far off, way off, are his friends. This struck me. How rude that that would totally be me. Would I have stood by the cross? In this final verse, Luke's choice of the words, stood at a distance watching, allude to Psalm 38 verse 11, where King David laments, my loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. But just because it's fulfilling prophecy or has an a thousand year buffer, doesn't make it any less painful. If I was standing on the hillside that day, debating whether to go, go and stand by Jesus, I imagine I would have been worried about looking silly, of standing out, of feeling being exposed. Ministry times used to really scare me, like run in the opposite direction kind of scare me when you know there's something you need, you need prayer for, but you have to come out at the front in view of everyone. Choosing to admit how we're feeling, our hurt and our sin can be exposing and uncomfortable. It might not be nice, but it is good. On this Good Friday, this is not the time to take a step back from Jesus staying watching at a distance. This is an opportunity to step towards him. This evening, when we reflect on what it might've been like to stand before the cross that first Good Friday, the question this asks us is, where do we stand? Where are our own hearts at? If we can get that the same Jesus we see suffering on the cross, that same Jesus who came and made himself vulnerable to us and real to us, is the same Jesus we speak to, cry to and hear from as our friend. And where else would we want to be other than standing right next to him? I think it's then that the weight of our sin and the weight of our love of his love can begin to sink in. He wants us to get up close and personal. One of the characteristics of deep relationships are the ones where you've chosen to be vulnerable, chosen to share with someone the parts of you which are hurting and broken. Those conversations don't often feel nice. They can be uncomfortable. But when we have them with our Father in heaven, they allow us to be real with the God who made himself real to us. There is something important and good that we are invited to in this moment of standing before the cross. So let's not stand at a distance or rush on. Because we are invited to really grapple with what it might have been like to watch Jesus die that day suffering unimaginable pain and realize that that is the same Jesus who comes and sits by us as our friend. 
whatever Jesus might be speaking to your heart about, as an opportunity to step towards the cross, just as we are. Knowing that as we do, we are walking towards our King and our friend. Let's be disarmed by his open arms. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that through your word, you invite us to meet with you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us so that we can come to know the full extent of your love. Even before we knew you and accepted you, God, you had so much love and affection for us. As we stand at the cross this evening, would we come to know that love even more fully in our own lives? And would it lead us into pursuing a deeper and more real relationship with you? Come, Holy Spirit, show us where our hearts are at this evening. Amen. <laughs>